I think that we should leave that on the table. Should we go back to a situation where we have incredible spread within a school that we are trying to keep open? On tonight's KRBD Evening Report, mask mandates are not off the table for Ketchikan schools, but the largest COVID-19 testing program is no more. Plus, Alaska's congressional delegation condemns Russia's aggression in Ukraine. Ajuno Carver is making a new totem pole to represent the Hlinket, Haida, and Simshian tribes, and ATVs are now street legal in Sitka. All that and more coming up. First, let's take a look at the weather. We'll have a high wind watch in effect from Friday evening through late Saturday night. For tonight, cloudy with slight chance of rain and snow. Lows in the mid-30s and southeast winds to 15 miles an hour. Friday, rain with highs around 40 and southeast winds to 20 miles an hour. On Friday night, rain with lows in the mid-30s. Southeast winds to 30 miles an hour, gusting to around 60. Saturday, rain and snow with light accumulations. Highs in the mid-40s and southeast winds to 30 miles an hour. And Saturday night, rain with lows around 40 and southeast winds to 25 miles an hour. It's the KRBD Evening Report. I'm Eric Stone. Ketchikan students will no longer be tested for COVID-19 if they don't show symptoms except in limited circumstances. But Ketchikan's school board stopped short of allowing COVID-19 positive students without symptoms to attend classes. The school board also left open the possibility that mask mandates may return in the future. The 4-3 to three school board vote to end the Test to Stay program came after Superintendent Melissa Johnson said the school district's recent move to a mask-optional policy made contact tracing impractical. I just think that because we took the basically our only mitigation away, which was masking, it doesn't really make, and, I, and I'm not trying to be rude, I'm just saying like, because it's not an underhanded comment, I'm just saying that it would put way too much stress on our staff. The Test to Stay program, which was based on guidelines laid out by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, allowed unvaccinated students identified as close contacts to bypass quarantines by testing repeatedly. Parents complained at Wednesday's meeting that the program in practice kept students out of classes unnecessarily. School board members Paul Robbins Jr., Bridget Matson, Diane Gubatayo, and Nicole Anderson voted to end the testing of students without COVID-19 symptoms. Robbins, who put forth the proposal, argued it was time to learn to live with COVID-19 as a part of everyday life. It needs to be treated like the remaining of sick, remaining sicknesses that we treat them. If you're sick, you go home. If you're if you're not sick, you don't. Other testing programs, including on-demand testing for people with symptoms and the regular testing of athletes, are unaffected by the school board's decision. With the school district's most broad-based COVID-19 testing program repealed, the school district said Thursday that students and staff would be expected to self-report if they test positive for COVID-19. And instead of contact tracing, the district says it will offer emails to notify classmates and teachers of exposure. Ketchikan's school board also separately rejected a proposal that would have allowed masks to be optional regardless of COVID-19 levels. Instead, the board voted unanimously to decouple the school's COVID-19 risk measures from district-wide case levels. The school board set the school district's risk level at moderate, the second lowest level on the district's four-tier COVID-19 mitigation plan. That means masks will stay optional in classrooms and common areas for now. Masks automatically became optional on February 21st after cases across the district fell below a key threshold. School board member Bridget Madsen says administrators should be able to bring back masks if there's a spike in cases in a particular school. I think that we should leave that on the table. Should we go back to a situation where we have incredible spread within a school that we are trying to keep open and that we're trying to keep in person? 
Masks will remain mandatory for fans at athletic events. School board president Stephen Bradford expressed concerns that removing the mask mandate for spectators might jeopardize other Southeast Alaska schools' willingness to send teams to a regional basketball tournament next month in Ketchikan. We've got eight communities coming who, as it now stands, are expecting that the spectators in the crowd will all be masked. Um, And I think it's a problem if we suddenly change that. And that would have a horrible economic impact on this community if uh, those communities pulled out. Public health authorities have offered qualified support for the relaxation in rules. In a statement, head Ketchikan Public Health Center nurse Jen Bergen says her office supports the board's decision if it feels it's in the best interest of the district. She added that public health urges a slow approach to ending mitigation efforts in line with the board's steps, but she expressed concerns that it may be difficult to stand up the test-to-stay program again if needed in the future. In other business, the board unanimously approved a two-year contract with new superintendent Michael Robbins. He's set to begin work July 1st after obtaining a superintendent's endorsement on his state teaching license. His salary was set at $145,000 plus benefits. Alaska's congressional delegation has condemned Russia's attack on Ukraine and called out Russian President Vladimir Putin's aggression. In emailed statements today, none of the three Republicans criticized President Biden. Senator Lisa Murkowski said the country must unite around severe sanctions and punish Russia for its crimes. Congressman Don Young called Putin an authoritarian thug and said America doesn't back down from dictators. Senator Dan Sullivan said Putin is driven by historical grievances and paranoid about neighboring democracies. He did not grant an interview request, but later, in a videotaped statement, Sullivan did find fault with Biden. The President of the United States said, His administration is doing everything they can to help with energy independence and make sure energy prices are not skyrocketing because of this crisis. That's not true. Mr. President, you need to do much more. You need to get your boot off the neck of American energy producers. Sullivan said the administration should proceed with development in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge and elsewhere. Opponents of drilling in the Arctic Refuge say production would be years away and would not serve to counter the current price spike. Governor Mike Dunleavy, in a message on Twitter this morning, said he differs with President Biden on domestic energy production, but said now's the time for unity against Russia's attack on democracy. In the afternoon, Dunleavy issued a press release saying Alaska's energy resources are an asset to national security. A new totem pole is being carved in Juneau to represent the Tlingit, Haida, and Simshian tribes of southeast Alaska. As KTOO's Lindsay Berlini reports, it's different from most totem poles, and it's taking longer than anticipated. TJ Young is chipping away at a massive log. Small, curled wood chips pile up on the floor. Some of it is still uncarved, but there are figures emerging along most of the pole. Most totem poles are carved on one side, but this one is two-sided. They're calling it a 3D totem pole, and it's a lot more work. This pole is more than 20 feet tall and almost 4 feet wide at the base. Young says it normally takes him 3 to 4 months to carve one side of a pole. But for this project, he's six months in and still has a couple months to go. Yeah, it's been challenging. It's been the most time-consuming project I've ever worked on, but I think it'll be worth it. And I think it'll, it'll um, it represent all of us, you know, not just my family or my clan or my nation even. It's representing all three of us. So, Since the totem pole represents the Shingit, Haida, and Simshian of southeast Alaska, Young says he only included elements that all three tribes have in common. 
At the base of the pole, there is the man holding up the world. A little further up is the strong man. He's in there um, ripping a sea lion in half. It's just, just a little glimpse of the story. It's a long story. There's also salmon, the sun, the moon, the stars. There's an eagle on one side and raven on the other for balance. And on top of the pole, there are three figures representing the Shingit, Haida, and Simshian nations. Young is Haida from Heidelberg and has been carving for over 20 years now. He says he and his brother grew up idolizing master carvers like Robert Davidson, Bill Reed, and Jim Hart. He and his brother started carving right around the same time. He got a set of tools. I got jealous, so I got a set of tools. <laughs> T.J. Young's brother Joe Young helped carve this pole, and Greg Frisbee and Andrea Cook will help with the painting. Young says that the process of carving totem poles includes the whole community, especially when he's home in Heidelberg, where the carving shed is like a community center. But it was definitely a spot where people would come in and visit and share stories, even help on the pole. We have some younger kids come in and helping out. And it's the same when they raise totem poles, too. Everyone's holding the rope. They just want to feel like you're part of it, and everybody, you know, it goes up easy for all if we all help out. Installing this pole will be different because it will be carved on both sides. Young says it'll have to be lowered onto a metal pole at Sealaska Heritage Institute's arts campus in Juneau. He's not sure when the totem pole will be unveiled. Right now, he's more focused on getting the pole done before his deadline in mid-May. In Juneau, I'm Lindsay Brolini. All-terrain vehicles are now street legal in Sitka, under strict rules adopted by the Sitka Assembly on February 22nd. The decision comes just two months after Sitka opted out of the new state law, allowing the change. However, efforts by stakeholders to address some major safety concerns eventually won assembly approval, as KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. In Alaska, ATVs became street legal on January 1st, but some communities initially opted out of the new regulations. The Alaska Association of Chiefs of Police published a letter in opposition to the new law, citing safety concerns, and Sitka's Police and Fire Commission followed suit and unanimously called for the city to opt out. That was enough for some assembly members to say no to the new law, with the caveat that they would reconsider Sitka's specific ATV code in the future. The ATV rules the assembly approved on February 22nd are stricter than the state law that went into effect at the beginning of this year. Drivers and their vehicles must meet more safety requirements, like helmets for everyone, not just passengers, and pass a mandatory police inspection of the vehicle. And they must have both city and state permits first before taking a four-wheeler to the streets. ATV user Logan Cluding said he was initially worried about all of the additional requirements to make the vehicles street legal. You know, I was a little concerned about the price of uh, all the upgrades that we have to make on our ATVs right now. You have to have lights and, you know, upgrade so that it's safer, but I think it's still in the price range that you're going to get a lot of the community out there riding on the roads with their ATVs, which we've been wanting to do for a long time. Most public testimony over the last few meetings has been in support of ATVs on Sitka streets, but not everyone is totally sold. Here's John Dole, who said he wasn't against ATVs on roadways, but was still concerned about noise. They're just simply loud. From 96 to 105 decibels, it's uncomfortable to hear them. Just think about in the future, because I'm sure no one likes loud noise. 
Assemblymember Tor Christensen, who co-sponsored the ordinance with Dave Miller, said if noise turned out to be a big problem, the Assembly could always revisit the ordinance and make changes. After the Assembly opted out of the state laws, Christensen and Miller hosted a working group in January to craft the code changes. Overall, I think this is a good Sitka solution. And the list was collectively uh, come up with, and it wasn't any one person or one group. It was, and it went through police and fire. And, you know, I think it's interesting that the initial one was uh, put down, nobody voted for it on police and fire, and this, everybody voted for it. So um, I hope this works out. And the nice thing about things like this is they're comparatively easy to change, and obviously if we need to. Only one assembly member voted against the ordinance. Kevin Knox had previously voiced concerns about tourists unfamiliar with Sitka operating ATVs on local roads. I'm going to continue working on finding a solution or a fix because I, I have a feeling this, this probably will, will pass here tonight. Um, but I, I do still remain very concerned about a commercial operation opening up and having a lot of, of vehicles running around town that are, have operators that aren't necessarily the same, you know, they don't have the same level of knowledge and respect and and care for our community that I would like to see people have. The code requires no additional certifications to operate an ATV beyond a driver's license. Assemblymember Rebecca Hemshute said there may be a need for a local ATV safety course in Sitka. I hope people who ride in Sitka are thinking about that and thinking about how to make make our community as safe as possible, make our riders safe as possible, and maybe make riding more equitable because people who don't currently have access might enjoy learning how to ride. Ultimately, the ATV rules passed on a five to one vote with assembly member Kevin Knox opposed. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Katherine Rose. That is it for tonight's edition of the KRBD Evening Report. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can get the show as a podcast on your favorite podcast app and on your smart speaker by asking it to play the KRBD Evening Report. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm Eric Stone.